Welcome to episode 99 of the Knife Journal Podcast. <laughs> My name is James Noka and I'm here with Kyle Burstag and we are running the roads in Emmett County today. Yeah, we're uh, in a hot little Subaru. Yeah, we're, uh, we had to make a promo video, which uh, I'll put a link to on the site eventually, but uh, we started a rally team. It's not a racing team, because you're not actually racing, you're rallying. Because that would different. be breaking the law. Yeah, and we obey all traffic laws all the time. Uh, but the uh, name of our team is Silicone Bandits, and we're going to do a bunch of road rallies. Of course, the first one is the Michigan Gumball in August of 2016. Uh, so we were out shooting some video today. Hopefully that'll turn out all right. Uh, it's uh, July 3rd. Last year we did a July 4th podcast. Yeah, yeah. This is a... Uh it's a fun, quiet weekend. Yeah. It's not fun driving, though, because no. it, uh, it took me, like, two and a half hours to get up here. Well, the other thing, too, hour. is you have you have Cherry Fest going on. Yeah. And that's a fun time, yet, if you're a local, it's kind of a miserable time. Yeah. Because the traffic is phenomenal how much happens to show up. Yeah, I'm actually looking for an alternate route home so I don't have to go through Charlevoix and get behind all these lobbies. Yeah, that's another crazy town. Uh, I was thinking like going down 131 or something. Go down 131 to 72? Yeah. Maybe. Is there an easier way to get to 131 from here um, other than going through Petoskey? Like a blacktop or no. something? Uh, it sucks. No. Well, I have to have to go through Petoskey, but then from there I'll... Yeah, there's no bypasses up here, that's for sure. Oh. So, tell everybody where we're these heading. Old, these old Indian trails. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're heading to one of the oldest uh, forts in, the, in, in America, in U.S. history. Uh, it's Fort Mackinac. And um, actually, it's Fort Fort Michilimackinac. Yeah, big jet just flew over. Um, Fort Michilimackinac, which was a French outpost uh, in the 16 mid 1600s, early 1600s, I guess. And uh, and it was a uh, French outpost until the French and Indian War, which the French lost. So it became a British fort. That was what, like 17. 40, something like that, 1742, huh. 1752, I don't, I don't remember the dates, but the French and Indian War was first, the British took over this fort, and then uh, three years after the British had it, the, the natives became restless and they didn't like the British at all, and they killed them all, so the, because this was all under British rule, they still needed a fort here, so they moved the fort over to Mackinac Island. Okay. And uh, and this and they burned this fort to the ground. 
and in the, sometime in the mid-50s, uh, the notion came up that this fort was there, and they started digging, and they, they basically rebuilt this from, archeolo- from an archaeological dig. Cool. And it's actually one of the longest ar- uh, active archaeological digs in America. Because they're still finding stuff here. You think they'll ever rebuild this road from an archaeological dig? Hell, isn't that it's, it's awful? 2017. 2017. Isn't it the worst? Yeah. Don't get me going. That's a political freaking... <laughs> this is a big... This is a state of Michigan thing. Maybe this is their way of, of stopping people from passing and, and speeding up. Right. Well, that, that happened on the way up here today. Oh, yeah. Uh, there was a three lollygagging motorcyclers driving 50 with a car with a with about uh, 25 cars stacked up behind them all driving 50 passing lane comes and they floor it nice. as as soon as they're out of the pass and nobody got past them and i was you know 22 cars back or whatever so there was no way but as soon as they got out of the passing lane they slowed back down to 50 nice so we're doing the so we're we're kind of doing the uh, touristy thing, um, going to Mackinac, Mackinac City. The uh, like I said, the the fort is extremely historical site. It's a it's a very very cool site. Um, a lot of a lot of bushcraft people would like it because it's because it's there's a lot of uh, early. Um, technology that's that's used in the fort it would be blacksmith shop yeah they'd like it if they would ever leave their mom's basement (laughs) or their apartment complex so so i saw i saw a video for from uh i'm gonna just gonna call him johnny bushcrafter and he had training wheels on his canoe (laughs) (laughs) so this is the guy we were talking about last time no this is another he's like it's not that well. So it's not the it's guy. It's another guy, though. Just like yeah. him. It's not the guy last time that I was talking about. That's literally like a mid twenties basket weaver. Yeah. He's like, don't you know who I am? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, sorry, don't. You know, you it's know, not that guy that had training wheels on his canoe. No, no, but that's, never. But it's but it is funny though to see a canoe with big floats on the side of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. The, uh, you know, and, and I, that guy is a, he is a, is, he does very nice work with his basket weaving. He does very nice work. He, and he, and here's where the rub is. He does it in a way that is not cost effective. Okay? Yeah. So, so it's a, it's a very traditional way that they used to make ash baskets probably in the, you know, who knows, a couple hundred, three years ago. I don't know. 300 years yeah, ago, it, we've discovered Tupperware since. Yeah, we don't need ash baskets. Yeah. Well, those. I mean, like I can put an ash basket in my in my uh, my backpack. Yeah. My ash bat. My um, uh, my number two. Um, like if you're going to pack, you know, like if I was going to use it in a canoe or like a historical reenactment. Yeah. Or something. No, actually, like canoe canoers, uh, guys that go on canoe trips. They use those packs like that. They're canoe packs. Um, well, they 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 will you they'll put an ash basket inside the the pack, the wax canvas pack, because yeah. they're not made for hiking. These are just made for portaging. But you know what? 
Well, so I did a two-week trip through the Boundary Waters, mm -hmm. and we just used uh, backpacks yeah. with a frame because those portages are a bitch. Right. Some of them well, are like and a that's couple a, miles and up that's, over right, hills exactly. or something, you know. But the thing is, with a with a backpack with a frame on it, they don't always ride as nice as a as a soft pack in a canoe. In a canoe, I suppose. You know, yeah. that's and that's a lot of the and and you know, to, to be honest, some of these lightweight canoes are uh, there's no there's not a lot of room in them. I mean, there's not a lot of space to put a you know, like I, I have my I wouldn't even my uh, my cargo canoe right would be a perfect. Boundary Waters canoe. If you never had to lift it and carry it, it's probably 70, 80 pounds. It's 80, it's 80 pounds. Yeah, I, I did it, and it's Grumman. Yeah, a big huge aluminum Grumman that was 80 pounds. And those are not light. No, 80 pounds. Yeah, yeah. My my canoe is a my canoe is a canvas and, and wood canoe. Oh, that's nice. And it's a they call them Lakers. They're not made to do rivers. They're they're made to go on the. Uh, they have a keel on them, and, and they're yeah. made to paddle across lakes. Well. When you put that in the lake, it's a freaking phenomenal paddling canoe. It's a, it's very, very easy to, 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 to move. It's 18 foot long. Wow. And uh, and it paddles wonderfully. You can carry all kinds of stuff in that thing. But once again, you don't want to carry it two and a half miles from one lake to another. Right. You know. Anyway, so so the the uh, the whole ash basket thing is, you know, he makes them, he splits them. Pounds them, uh, makes them the, the way the natives have made them for years, I guess. Okay, so obviously it's not like a cost-effective way to do it because he's getting like three or four hundred dollars for a basket, and he's you know charging for his time and you know all that kind of stuff. And you can buy a handmade ash basket for like ninety bucks. Well, yeah, or I can go down to the Amazon jungle and get one for a couple eggs. Right. <laughs> Not an ash basket, but a, right. something that is what they do. They sit around and right, and and so so that was what I guess that was what the discussion was about how to how do you make a living at it? No, he was yeah he was talking about no apparently he also does like classes right and where making he, paddles and no yeah. no he fancies himself some sort of a survival bushcraft expert. Oh, not oh. has he was not even talking about basket weaving, which is a whole other thing. He fancies himself uh, internationally famous in the bushcraft world, and you can Google him, and you have never heard this guy's name, yeah. and nothing comes up for him. And if we said his name, you would never know who the hell it is. Yeah. Well, and so he was in, in basically a Johnny Come Lately to the the whole bushcraft instructor but, thing, but acting been... like he's like some old. You know, trapper and from the 1800s. And, and he's a, not. He's a younger, yeah, he's a young guy. He's yeah, got young kids. We're all greenhorns. Me having like walked across the Amazon jungle, I'm a greenhorn next to this guy. Yeah. Fuck you, dude. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> sorry. So I've been getting already been getting emails about the last podcast with that on that topic. Oh yeah. From, from supporting people, so that's kind of funny. Supporting them or not all supporting us? Oh yeah. Apparently he's had run-ins all over the yeah. internet. And it's, it, like I said, it's, he's young and dumb and, you know. Yeah, he just needs just to slow his role. And never, ever, ever, no matter who you are, never say, don't you know who I am? Because <laughs> the obvious answer is no, and then you look stupid. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on, dude. Uh, 
That's funny. Yeah. That is funny. But anyways, uh, so so that becomes the issue is, you know, he's building these bad. And, and you know what? To the average guy, you don't know the difference between one that's, you know, that's that he built a certain way. I mean, when you look at him out on the, on the, uh, uh, in his display at a, at a reenactment or whatever it is, that they, wherever he sells them at, Gonna know that you're not gonna know the difference whether or not he pounded them and stripped them, yeah. you know, the way his ancestors did. Or I mean, I don't even know if he's really a Native Dude, American. He's got knows. he's got a more European name than I do. Yeah. <laughs> so if he does, they yeah, well. at some point adapted somebody else's name. Yeah. That <laughs> could be. You know, a lot yeah, of uh, a lot of. Um, well, have you heard the? You heard the, how how natives na- named them. Their kids, their children. Usually, they take them out, and I suppose it varies by tribe. But the the common one thing the, that I've heard is they go and if there's some event happening or they see something, then they name that. Well, uh, I was told this story. Old chief. Told- Shame. Okay, I'll change that. <laughs> I can't tell that joke. Right. Uh, bleeped out. Yep. Okay, so we're back. <laughs> <laughs> Bark River Knives offers the best combination of ultra-modern CNC components and old-world craftsmanship. All Bark River Knives are hand-convex ground and sharpened to perfect cutting geometry for the task they are designed to perform. Bark River Knives are available through our authorized dealers. Try to tell a joke, and then I figured out that we had company in the back seat. Yeah, so we can't tell that joke. Right. Anyway, so they, so yeah, I don't know if he's, uh, if he's really native. I mean, I guess um, maybe well, he's one of our good, like, one of our uh, good friends. What's her uh, face? One of our good friends took his paddle making class. Okay. And, uh, and enjoyed it quite a bit, but didn't have enough time to finish the paddle. So he posted when he finished his paddle. He said, "He said I finished it in the way of my traditional ancestors, quarter cable and skill." <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> he used he used electric tools to finish his. Yeah, and I thought that was just freaking really funny. Yeah, the tools of my ancestors, quarter cable and yeah, and, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with, right. <laughs> with doing things more efficiently. That's right. You know, and I and I think, you know, I mean, it's it, look, it's it's cool that these guys keep this stuff alive. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, but you don't, know, don't but act don't like you're like some old, you know. Well, and on top of that, don't don't. don't uh, you know, like it's that. it's sort of like the guys that are sharpening knives on a stone, and they really poo poo you if you use a grinder. You know what? I don't have time for that shit. Yeah, I mean, I just do not have time to sit there for four hours with a set of stones and sharpen my knife so sharp that if you look at it the wrong way, it, it smudges it. It takes it, it, it rolls the edge over or something. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just don't have time for that. So I use a grinder. So don't, but don't cuss me because I use a grinder to sharpen my knife. Well, you know, because I just don't have four hours to spend doing it. What really makes them uh, 
cuss is when they take one of my knives that is uh, sharpened using a belt grinder and then a buffer, and then they take one of theirs and mine is sharper. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not really so much the edge necessarily anyway, it's the edge geometry. Right. What, what's leading up to that edge that determines how well it's going to perform, but you know, what right. do I know about it? Well, we're coming up on the uh, oh, bridge thing. What's that? What did it say? And you can't tell. It was all buggered oh, up. Oh yeah. Somebody paid a lot of money for that. And it's yeah. Not working. Yeah, we did. Yep. Actually, I think the Mackinac Bridge Authority. Mackinac Bridge is, is interesting. A lot, a lot of people don't know this, but the Mackinac Bridge um, was built in 19. Yeah, I think it was. It was finished in 1958. Three years after the project started. It came in under budget and ahead of schedule, if you could imagine that. Yeah. Under budget and ahead of schedule. When does that ever happen? Never. And when they built it, they they formed the Mackinac Bridge Authority, which is like a private entity. And all of the toll money for the bridge, all of the toll money for the bridge goes into repair of the bridge and maintenance of the bridge. Wow. And the, and the government can't touch it. The state can't touch it. The, nobody can touch it. You it's, know they'd love to. Oh, yeah, because it's apparently it's, they have a lot of money. You know, so the state, you know, the guys that set that up were brilliant. But, and as you see by the rest of our roads, it's, they're terrible. Yeah. Because apparently the rest of our people can't figure that shit out. We might be we might be headed to the giant hot dog, the Wienerlicious hot dog. Yeah, there's this place up here called Wienerlicious. You been here? You been to this? No, place? I haven't. You yeah. like hot dogs, right? Heck yeah. Okay. They have all different kinds of hot dogs in here. I'll have to take a picture of the car next to it. <laughs> for if we stop there. Well, we'll set, see if we can get a sticker. Yeah. So we have a guest on our podcast today. She's not talking, though. <laughs> She's very quiet in the back seat. Yep. Would you like to say hi to our listeners? No. <laughs> How come? Because. All right, well, we're going to pull into Wienerlicious here. I have to take a lot of photos. They have uh, reportedly the best hot dogs in oh, all yeah. of northern Michigan. Yeah, that's what they say. That is what they say. And some people tell me that they thought traffic was down this year. I don't know as I... Maybe yeah. around here, but down where I'm at, it's crazy yeah. traffic. Boy, like I said, you got Cherry Festival going on this week, too, and that's... There's Wienerlicious! Nice. Okay. So I'm going to pull you... in and we'll get, a, we'll get a shot of the car with the big hot dog in the back.
All right, we're back momentarily. We just ate at Wienerlicious, which is yep. actually is Wienerlicious. Yeah, it's very good. I think it's the best Coney dog I've ever had. Uh, while we were in there, I got a Facebook message from Tyler White. Oh, yeah. Uh, confirming our suspicions about, uh, uh, you know, do okay. you know who I am and all this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, he says... Uh, Tell Jim hi, tell podcast listeners hi, and I wanted to give a shout out to his YouTube channel. Yes. So if you have any interest at all, uh, go ahead and tech, check out T-Jack Survival. Yep. T-Jack is one word and then survival on YouTube, and I'm sure you will love it. Yeah, he does nice videos. Very practical stuff. Yep. Cool. All it's right. Very practical stuff. So now... He, he's the one that he came and, and stayed with us for a... Uh, yeah, for a in, long uh, weekend. He, he did in the like winter the winter time. thing, yep. right? Yeah, yep. that's pretty hardcore there. Yep. Yeah. He's in Utah. Yeah. You, oh, so he's into the desert stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the real hard stuff. Yeah, he's, there. A, he's friends with those guys at Boston. Yeah, that's. I, it's still, in I fact, think. I think he knew that. Best. I think he knew the instructor that's on alone, that was on alone. Oh, really? I, think I so. don't know which one that was, but. Uh, I, cause I, I think I don't he was the guy that burned up the. You need to watch that. That's a good show. Huh. Well, I, I, yeah, I did the boss course, and I had a. I think that was one of the best courses I've ever been on. I did the Boy Scout course. Well, that too, but I mean, as an adult, this was a great course. I was, I was actually laughing. To, I mean, a lot of times I'll say stuff, and I'll, I'll go to write something on Facebook, one of the groups, and, and I, I, I check myself because it, I don't want to irritate a lot of people, but. You know, <laughs> You know, when you think about it, if you take a 1960s Boy Scout manual, literally everything in there is what the bushcraft people are all about. Yeah. I mean, it's it's troop dependent whether or not you're going to get all get all of that teaching. Um, I had a really good troop, and I'm sure you did too. Yeah. But yeah, we were we had a great troop. But but a lot of the, I mean, even if you pick up a magazine, if you pick up a Boy Scout manual. From the from the sixties or from the fifties, um, there's a lot of that that information in there that the bushcraft people think are is sacred. And, oh, yeah. Well, and whatever way they're doing it is the only way to do it. Yeah. Never forget that. Yeah. Uh, how dare you? How dare you do it this way? How dare get your hands on? <laughs> anyway, uh, we better uh, pause for station identification here. back. <laughs> we just got back from the fort. Mitchell and Mackinac. Uh, those are mine. You can wear them if you want. Oh, I got mine. Um, so we just visited this nice fort. Uh, and cool. of course, all the rage up here. Every time I come up to Mackinac City, somebody is walking around with assless chaps on. Boing, and no one going cloth. Yeah. No, there's no loincloth there. That is just 
bare ass and chaps. <laughs> like, it's like he's just standing there. Like I'm gonna put a photo up uh, on the podcast page of uh, of oh the humanity. That's funny. Yeah, it's 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 literally every time I come up here I see that. It's funny. So uh, you've got this beta male back there who just waited at a stoplight for five minutes and I went and he got mad. It's like, dude, come on. If you're going to go, go. If you're not going to go, then shut the fuck up and stay there while I go. And, uh... <laughs> um, the ashless chaps. Yeah. So, uh... That's funny. That guy was was supposed to be a French uh, French trader. I think he was out of yeah, uh, that's, not dressed properly for that. Yeah, I don't think that they, that was like all that common. <laughs> but I think it's the outfit that like gets you paid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. So they had a lot of uh, knives at the fort. Oh yeah, there's trade there's, knives. Yeah, there's things. a ton of. Um, there's a ton of that kind of stuff in that in that place that you look at, and like I said, it was kind of a, a lot of bush guy people would like that place. Yeah, it was cool. I thought uh, they had uh, old cannons and stuff, and they had this mortar that I want to make. It's like yeah. a little portable mortar. Yep. And it had the little thing, you know, had a little box. Yeah, you could you could get all kinds of uh, designs for. Um, you take a you take a beer can or a pop can and you pop the top off it and you fill it up with concrete. And yeah, and then you shoot those. Yeah, and you shoot those. Um, you know, you basically get a machinist to make you a out of a bar Oof. of concrete or a bar of, a bar of cement. Oh, you mean a steel mortar, right? Yep. Yeah. Oh, did I say cement? Yeah, you said I meant, cement. I meant um, I meant steel. I bet you that'd be expensive. Yeah, a lot of a lot of machinists make them. Yeah. I mean, just because they're... Because they can. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be cool to have one of those and, like, be blasting it off all the time. Yep. Although I think if you actually put a lead-filled projectile in there, like, you could probably get in trouble for that. But if no. you just packed it with water... No, 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 no. You can... You can... Uh, they're a muzzle loader. But, well, like, say, say we had it and we were just wanting to blast it off and not throw something... Just pack it with wadding and blast it off. That's what they're doing with those cannons, right? With cannons water are... or wadding? Wadding. Oh, yeah, wadding. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but why? Why not have something that you can actually shoot? Well, you could also shoot it, but, like, for most of the time, yeah, that, I don't I think thought, I'd be... The guy that uh, my son used to work for had uh, a couple... I think he had three of them. Wow. And uh, he had a... Uh, you know, he could... About 300, 300 yards. Excuse me. He would launch one of those, and he, he used uh, cement cans, tin cans. Wow. Whether he used juice cans or, or um, I think he said beer cans were really good because they were stable. They yeah. Were stable, you know. Yeah, they, it's the right shape and all that. Yep. And, and he said they're real accurate. Yeah. If you once you, you know how to once use you them. dial them in and you get the right. Uh, amount of black powder in the in the thing, 
Yeah. Well, so here's what I don't get. Like, they've got these big cannons up on the fort, right, that shoot a solid ball. Mm-hmm. Like, what are they going to shoot that at? You know, I, I, I suppose most of the time they shot grape shot out of there, but, like, right. if you were going to shoot a solid ball out of there... Well, you could have uh, wagons, other other, uh, other artillery pieces, yeah. I suppose, yeah. Yeah, and I think probably most of the time they were just shooting grape shot. Right. right. Yeah. So, Actually, that, I don't even know if they ever had an issue at the fort with that. Hmm. I don't think that that fort was ever in a battle... Huh. Um, I could be wrong, but what if the only the only action that that would have seen would have been like the French and Indian War. Yeah. And I don't know as a as the British were actually gave much of two shits about that fort. Yeah. Trying to take it, it wasn't strategic enough to to risk men and to waste the time on it. Yeah. And, and they ended up getting it because of the because the French lost the war. Yeah, it just deemed it over. Yeah. It was more of a trading fort right. than a military fort. Of course, that's if you read history, that's what most of those were, is just right. trading forts. Yep, yep. Um, and that's what's cool about that, is they, they try to bring as much of that uh, that lifestyle of that era to back to life yeah. as they can. Homely women. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Look like they can pull your plow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and really short men. Right. Although all the guys they hired, they're more modern looking. Yeah. They didn't look olden times. The modern, all. the modern millennial. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of the, a lot of the kids that work there are, uh, you know, twenty college kids. Yeah, that'll be a good way to spend a summer. Uh-huh. I bet you they, they probably house them somewhere. Yeah, they have a dorm. They yeah. actually have a dorm for them. And what's kind of what's kind of comical is they probably don't make a ton of money at twelve hundred bucks yeah. for the whole summer, but you probably get room and board. Can you probably stay out get of that room and board. <laughs> yeah, and all the all the uh, tourists you can. Yeah. Lots of fudge. Eat lots of fudge. Looked like everybody was eating plenty of it there. Yeah. Except us, we didn't get any fudge. Yeah. I love the fudge. I yeah, love it's the fudge. Good, but it, I mean, you eat it and you gain weight. And then, uh, what's interesting is, like I said, it was the oldest archaeological dig, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And obviously, they were still digging there. Yeah, they had this one uh, thing dug up, and they had one lady sitting on a bench with a pop watching these two guys. She's telling them, no, don't dig there, dig there. Yeah. You know, this. And she they, probably was making more money than everyone else, Oh, yeah, else she's probably got a degree in it. Okay, let's pass these fools. <laughs> stick our feet in the water. I thought so too, but I think uh, people ran out of gas. Tomorrow I'm going back to that uh, Blue Angels flyover thing. 
Are they, are they doing a show morning. tomorrow? Yeah. Was yeah. it? I thought the show was today. No, they did three. Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Oh. And Monday's the actual fourth, you know. Right. So I didn't know they did three shows. Yeah. So are we in charge of stopping for the burger and I'm stuff? Sure. Okay. I would be sure of that. So what's new in the knife world? What do you um, hear? I just shipped knives to deer and deer hunting. That's nice. new. Um, we talked about stealing a vehement knife. I, I did that. That's a nice looking knife. Um, well, let's see what else. In the knife world, not a whole lot. Must be the slow time of year. Yeah, everybody's everybody's getting ready for uh, for the fall. Well, I've been busy. Uh, my shop has basically been completely out of commission for a month because of summer and the firewood season. I actually do most of my stuff in the winter. Mm-hmm. You been cutting wood? Yeah. My uh, Holzhausen is now about waist high. <laughs> I still have a whole half of a semi to cut up. That's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. They're a little little finicky. You gotta when you're splitting your wood, you gotta split them a certain way uh, to get some more or less even pieces uh, and then even doing that every once in a while um, you have to make a little correction now how big a round is it is it that you're making 10 foot 10 foot diameter the uh, now do you use a um, uh, a string yeah so what I go what all I, the way up to the top to make well, it like an igloo well what I did was I took a uh, a post and drove the post into the ground mm-hmm. and then I took a five foot string and I laid down a perimeter of uh, firewood to mark out the ten foot circle and then you just stack from there. So the first one, uh, the first layer is is not stacked towards the center, mm-hmm. it's stacked round. So you're basically drawing a circle out of wood mm-hmm. and then the next, from there on, you're going to stack the uh, wood so that it's pointing directly at the stake. Um, and the idea behind that first layer is to get the log slightly tilted inward mm-hmm. without having the actual wall um, angle inward. Uh, the, but but the, the logs are all slightly angled inward mm-hmm. so that it won't fall out. It'd only fall in, and it can't fall in because the middle is filled with logs. So every once in a while that you lose that angle because, you know, after a, a few stacks of logs in there, you end up uh, having to put another uh, piece of wood uh, to, to prop up and recreate that inward angle. I'm sure some people can do it without that, but I can't. I, uh, and so when you are when you get it all the way full, then you just pile up the wood on the inside? Well, you, you pile up the wood on the inside as you're building it. Okay. So, 
The only stuff that goes in the outside wall is stuff that you've split more or less perfectly with no knots in it. And then anything with knots or gnarly shape or anything, you just throw in the center. And so, uh, you know, all of your misshapen wood goes in the center and all your nice perfect logs go on the outside. And that's and how you're supposed to turn it over three years? Is that what they're saying? That it takes three years to cure like that? Oh, I don't, I, I don't know that, that there's a definite thing, but um, I think I did read three years, but I mean, it depends. I, I guess if you were splitting green wood, right, it didn't take that long. But if you if you've got wood that was basically cut a couple years ago and then dropped off at your house, and I think you probably just stack it a year and then go. Yeah, it's very cool. Some people build them on pallets, or some people lay down a bed of gravel. I didn't really mess with it. I just figured the bottom layer of logs I'd have to dry another year. I know they were, uh, I know they build those, and they leave, sometimes they leave them hollow. Uh-huh. They don't fill them up, and they just, and they dry the logs. They say, they claim that the logs dry faster that way. I... Sure, I uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I think if you stack them correctly and then leave space between the rows, you're accomplishing the same thing. All right. Uh, it again. The only claim I'm making is that it's attractive. That, that I like the way it looks. And plus, I have to stack it anyway. I might as well have fun while I'm stacking right. it. You know, and have something to take a picture of. That's not look at my wood pile. Similar to that, maybe one of the other islands. Uh, a little meet up. Yeah, meet up with a group of people. I think the problem is it's getting so late in the season. I think you know people have to plan on quite a ways in advance yeah. so for their vacations. And I think we looked at it earlier in the year, but couldn't pick a time. And ended up filling up the weekends with other stuff. Just take over one of the one of the other uh, groups weekends. Yeah. <laughs> Show up. Do a raid. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that'd go over real well. <laughs> I don't think anybody finds. I haven't heard anything from. Uh, um, 
Tradewater in a while. Yeah. Have you heard anything from him? Not a word. Was he at the at the Becker thing? No, he he couldn't make it this year or this spring anyway. Uh, that's always a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It's uh, pretty relaxing, you know. Mm-hmm. This time I only had to help with uh, a little bit of the food, and I got to cook it down in the house rather than screwing around with the campfire. Because well, I know there was over 50 people there. I know your wife and my wife were talking about going camping up where we were last last weekend. Well, that sounds like the ticket. If there's not any uh, black flies or whatever. Yeah, so recording the uh, recording the video for the uh, rally team, I got stung by two bees. <laughs> we have we do have a lot of honeybees in our neighborhood. Yeah, and they like me apparently. Yeah. Because you're sugar. Yeah, well, our, uh, the thing is, is like, there's literally no bugs where I live, except you're going to get a lot of fruit flies in another few weeks, but, like, we don't have mosquitoes or anything like that. It's really kind of nice. That's the nice thing about that location for that fort, you know, is that it's going to have breezes there right. all the time. I wonder in the winter with that snow blowing across that lake, how high those drifts get on that wall. I don't know. I, you know, it doesn't ever look bad. I imagine it would have been interesting to live there in the winter time. You'd have to cut a lot of wood. Oh yeah. You know, because they didn't have uh, an enclosed wood stove. They all cooked on open fires. Yeah, hearth. Yeah. But if you notice. And a lot of people don't realize this, that fireplaces back then were not built the way they built them today. No. The hearth, the hearth was a lot taller, the mantle was way high, yeah. and most of the fire was actually in the room. Yeah. Not, was it? not underneath the uh, underneath the chimney. They were usually away from the chimney, you know, away from the wall quite a ways. Yeah, so that you got a lot of radiated heat yep. and whatnot. Yeah. I was surprised they had fires burning in a couple of different cabins yeah, there. Yeah. Today. Well, they were probably cooking on something. A lot of times they'll cook on something. Is this our store up here? No. Well, a little farther. I guess we haven't passed the airport yet. So yeah, the the. Um, The way they cooked back then was kind of, I mean, they did Dutch oven cooking and they did uh, oh, yeah. open fire cooking, stews and whatnot. Yep. But their stoves, they're, they're, they didn't have any stoves. Well, yeah, because you got to get it there on a canoe. But you, they, they did build ovens, earthen ovens. Right. Like that. Yeah, so they had one of those fired up today. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. And, of course, if you were, if you had one of those ovens, you know, you, you baked bread probably for a week straight. 
Well, yeah. You know, for a week. Now, yeah. You know, and it, like, uh, you fire it up, and then you just bake all for the whole fort. Yeah. Yeah. And that, well, that's a lot of a lot of places where they have an oven like that. That's the village oven. You know, and you bring your stuff down to cook it. Uh, you know, things that need to be cooked hot, like bread, go in in the morning, and then stuff that you know, like roasts and just warming up food is done later on. But you know how you build one of those, right? What's that? You know how you build one of those ovens? How's that? You take and you make a mound of sand, and then you put clay or whatever materials you're using, probably cement in my case, over the top of a sand dome. Mm-hmm. And then uh, after everything hardens up, you scoop the sand out. That's how you get that dome. Interesting. Yeah. That, I actually looked at building one of those one time, but I kind of chickened out because, uh, you know, they'll crack and, you know, they don't weather all that well. Uh, it's not a permanent structure, and it's kind of a lot of work to get it going. Well, that one that one that was there was about 15 years old. Well, I, they probably do repairs on it every now but and then. But the other thing, too, is it's got a roof over it. Yeah. Well, see, if you had a roof, if you had a, a at least something to keep the rain off of it, like right. they did, right. And then if you could close the sides up in the winter, right. But then still, you you still have the freeze thaw and all that that you're gonna have to deal with, and that's kind of why I haven't really messed with one. I liked all their root cellars and stuff in there. Yeah, it's very very cool. And that well that they dug, they just dug it down into the rock. Yep. And then that fills with water because it's you're down below the lake level and the yep. lake sifts through and gets filtered and you get like pure water. Yep. I bet you could drink that stuff and never have one issue. Well, and I think, I mean, they, I would guess they probably were drinking a lot of Lake Michigan water without a lot of issues either. Yeah. Now you just want to stay away from where there's animals and right. stuff. But if it goes through all that rock and sand nature to your well, you're fine. That, that's a trick uh, for Mr. Es- Expert Bushcrafter out there. Uh, I've actually used this. So there's a, a swamp of nasty water. And, no, I mean, dirty, nasty, muddy water with stuff floating in it. And in order to filter that water, I just dug a hole a few feet back and then the hole filled with clear water. So you, if you have a pond or something, just dig a hole a few feet back and it'll, it'll auto- automatically fill up and be certainly a lot cleaner than what you were going to end up with if you took it straight out of the water source. Well, here's our store. Yep. This is our um, place. But I'm pretty sure that that guy who, like, is internationally famous would have known that and told me that. <laughs> because I'm sure he's actually done that. Uh, but, uh, anyway. We'll talk to you in a few. Yeah, bye. back last segment of the podcast special fourth of july edition one day early we are grilling yep we're out in jim's front yard with a hardwood fire going we're going to reposition our our uh, recorder here never mind the noise 
Um, you bumped him in the butt with that. Yeah, Come so here. this dog is trying here. to upset Sit the... Down. Uh, Sit down. Sit down. Yeah. Um, Don't you have a glue factory around or something? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, remember? Surely when there's we were a place to make sausage. One or one through ten, or one through try one through fifty. <laughs> <laughs> Look at him now. Well, he and I didn't even improved. give him any pills. Yeah, well, I'd give him a pill, and it involves cyanide. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I have a Weber kettle grill that right. I love to make. Burgers or steaks or hot dogs or whatever on. Yep. And, and you, I you and started I, it with actual hardwood today. Yes. Okay. Yep. Actual. I have actual hardwood in there, and it's kind of one of those progressions that I think you you go to you go from charcoal briquettes, Kingsford matchlight crap. Yeah. Then you progress to cowboy. Uh, uh, char, it's basically char Lump charcoal. Yeah, yeah, and um, uh, and then you and then you start making your own charcoal. Yeah, <laughs> you just gotta let it burn down a yep. while. If you yep. if you try to put stuff on too soon, you're gonna get wood gases and yep. off flavors and stuff. But, so yep. how did you? So he literally just whipped out a whole bunch of like maple scraps. But how did you light them for your um, for this? I used one of those. Oh yeah, so little Weber paraffin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know what's what's interesting about those is um, about five years ago, I've been using those for a long time. Right. About five years ago, a company came out with wet fire tinder, wet fire tinder. Okay. And they were selling them for five dollars per two cubes. Cheapers. And it was those Weber fire starters. Oh geez! So what? I mean, they were exactly the same, and I was—I thought that was kind of funny, but. Well, you want to know the old farm trick? If you have so much bacon grease that you oh, can't yeah. use it for cooking, what we do is we take those cardboard egg things, put a little sawdust in there, and and pour in leftover bacon grease. Yep. Yep. And those, you know, you you got to keep them cooler. It's going to be a runny, nasty mess, but. Right. Uh, you just cut one of those off, and it does the same thing. And you know, paraffin wax works well. Oh yeah. You know, paraffin wax and uh, and and sawdust works well. And that's always been the the, the standby. The cardboard carton um, egg crates. Yep. Work real well for that. So when you so let's talk about your not not the new one first, but your old tried and true method of uh, oh, I making used, burgers. Um. I basically, I be, you know, you make your patty, you let the coals burn down. I like to drop them on the fire and put my lid on it and then leave it. Yeah. And don't and I don't and I tend to not touch it for a couple minutes at least. Yeah. Yeah. Qu- for quite a while actually. Yeah. And then um, and then it, it it acquires a little bit of a Firmness. a smoky and smoky taste and um, and then a lot of time and then I'll pull it off and flip it over, um, but. Maybe turn it on the grill a little bit. You know, it might be a different spot. Oh, my phone's going dead. Might be a little bit different spot that's a little cooler yeah. than the kettle. Yeah. Um, and normally I don't cook on a big kettle like this. I usually cook on a smaller kettle. I have a yeah. small Weber over there. Yeah. And um, and I, and you know what? I you know there's a lot of people that love to cook with gas on a, on a, a gas grill, and I have a gas grill. I just don't use it very often. Huh. More times than not, I'll use it. And during Thanksgiving to keep things warm. Yeah. 
that I'll use it in that way, but I, it's it's pretty rare anymore that I use it and actually cook on it. Yep. The um, another trick if you have a really big grill, that's not the biggest. That's like their medium sized. Yeah, one, it's not a very big. Actually, it's not a very big one at all. Well, even even if you're just using your small one, right, and you're you're making like a cut of meat, mm -hmm. so like a, a chicken breast mm -hmm. or something. And you don't want to char the heck out of it. What I do is I take the coals and I stack them up on one oh, yep, side. Yep, yep, yep. And then to get the grill marks, you put them directly over the coals. But then once you've got that on there, I move them off the coals yep. and cook over a little bit of indirect. That's, and that's the one one nice thing about Weber's is that is that grill uh, uh, rotates. Yeah. So it's if, when you do that, you push everything over to one side. Um, it works real well, and then you and you get your grill marks on, and then you just pivot your pivot yep. the grill. You don't even have to move them; you yep. just move the grill. Yep. Off the fire, it works really quite well. Yeah. And there, and like I said, when you have a nice wood fire like that too, afterwards you can toast marshmallows or. Yeah, yeah. And, it and um, good. I mean, I've been known to toast buns on there. Yeah. You know. Got got to watch them though; they'll burn. Oh, they really burn quick. up real fast. Yeah. Yeah, they burn up real fast. That's a. That's a drop them on there, let them set for like a count of three, and pull them off. Yeah. Now, I, I have a bunch of different tricks with burgers. Uh, I've gone so far as grinding my own hamburger. Oh, yeah. With a mix of brisket and sirloin. I've tried all different stuff. Well, you know, and I just I saw something on Fox and Friends one morning, and um, it was at the beginning of the season, beginning of, of barbecuing season, and I tried it a couple times. And it was a technique with aluminum foil. The, the man was saying that when you, the heat from your hands is enough to, to change the texture of the burger when you're patting a burger together. Yeah, when you smush everything together, certainly, yeah. And uh, and so what he said was, you take it and you drop your drop your hamburger in a in a piece of aluminum foil. Yeah. And you you wrap it up and you kind of smush like you twist it like a tootsie roll. Yeah. And it forms a circle, forms a tube. Yeah. And then you cut it. Inside the tin foil, yeah, and and then you don't have something that's smushed yeah. together, and yeah. it, and you have a nice square. And I've done that a couple times, and really makes a difference, and and actually makes a difference in the way the burger cooks. Yeah, yeah. You know, it doesn't seem to be as get as burnt, and it seems to be a little more moist. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it retains any. It probably well, retains more little, fat. It's got more spaces in there because yeah. if you're compacting it with your hands. Yeah. Now there's a trick. Um, couple tricks I've come to over the years. Uh, you know, when you go to the butcher and you get the hamburger and it's got the real long stringy uh, grind, mm -hmm, right? And mm -hmm. it's basically they just strung it together and it looks like spaghetti noodles. So right, right. a little tighter, right? Well, I like that texture. Right. So basically what I do is I tear off a chunk of that and try to retain that structure the best you can. But then... Um, one problem people get is they make a burger, a, a thick burger, and it turns into a ball. Yeah. You know, because it contracts and then the center gets bigger than the outside. So a trick that I use is I uh, press the inside more than I do the outside so that it's more like yeah, a... Yeah, in indent in the Yeah, center. more like an indent so that when that process happens, because you know it will, then it ends up with a more even burger. I've, I've, uh, I've seen that done... And when they finish the burger, they put a piece of gorgonzola cheese in it. Oh, yeah. Right in the center. Yeah. So lots of tricks. Figured we'd end with a segment on grilling some burgers. Uh, you know, everybody's got a way to do it. 
Um, these are just a few things I've come to. If you ever want to, if you're ever feeling like a millionaire, <laughs> go buy yourself a brisket from Sam's Club and some cheap steak. And you, the brisket hey. is fattier and it's got more like. Have, uh, you, have you tried any of the wagyu beef? Yeah, I, they sell that stuff at the um, at the Jolly Pumpkin. Yeah. I can't say that I notice any difference. Yeah, they have. Uh, I have. I had a wagyu hot dog. There's a, our Tasky Sands, our local meat yeah. market has wagyu beef, and I don't, I don't know. Is it's a? Is it a? It's an actual breed, isn't it? Yeah, and then there's a process, but I mean, I think if you're going to notice any kind of a difference, it's going to be on a steak. Yeah. You know, well, with and the, you know, with the burgers it's funny. and the ground meats, I don't think you, it's just protein at that point. It's funny, I think, I, I get kind of a kick out of it because a lot of people are all into this grass-fed. Yeah, tough stuff that, tough. that and, might and as well make shoes out of this exactly. stuff. Exactly, and that's yeah. exactly what you end up with is, is a lot of the grass-fed beef is extremely chewy, extremely tough. It's not, um, it just it just isn't as tender as some of the Yeah. Beautiful so, prime stuff that's coming out of out west. Yeah, so I think what you do in in that situation, if you're going to make it with grass-fed beef, is make a stir fry out of it. Ah. You know, that's the thing is, if you slice it really thin and cook it really quickly, it's gonna it's not going to be near as tough as if you're trying to grill some big piece of. Well, and you know, and it's almost like if you or slow cook it. Yeah, but then then you're in the. You, know, you might as well barbecue it. Yeah, you, you might. Know, yeah, it's, it's pretty bad when you got to take a uh, T-bone steak and treat yeah. it like a brisket. So yeah, with, cook it 19 with, hours with <laughs> with T-bones. Um, so I have a trick for steaks, and this is the way I've been doing them for quite a while now, and I don't think I'll ever go back. And that's that I uh, still too hot. <laughs> it's it's ready. Nah, not yet. We will, we'll finish up, and then it'll be done. So I have a, a trick for steaks. Uh, I think I saw a video on Facebook or something. They, uh, you take your steak and it should be a thicker one, and you uh, pack it down with salt and pepper, and then you uh, sear it real quick, right? So I get a, a cast iron skillet, super duper hot, and no oil, no nothing. Just drop it in there, sear it, couple minutes, flip it over, sear it again, and then. At that point, I've got an oven going at 275, and I take the steak and I put it on a uh, oven rack and uh, cook it to an internal temperature of about 122. And if you do it that way, the center will be even, perfect all the way throughout with the char on the outside. Um, but it's it's bringing it up to temperature a little bit slower than you would, so that it's not raw on the middle. And then burnt on the outside. That is, I've been doing that too. That's yeah. actually a very nice way to do it. What you got there? It's a piece of wood. Oh, okay. She's all cold down. No, that's it's it's good to go. So let me let me see. Let me see. That's perfect. Yep. Okay. So now I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna go get our stuff. Actually, let's uh, sign off. How do they find us? All right. Uh, check us out on Facebook. And uh, we have a we have a uh, podcast, Knife Journal podcast Facebook page. Um, you can check us out on the web at www.knifejournal.com. You can hit us up with an email at podcast at knifejournal.com. You can f- friend us on Facebook, which we've just had some recent friends that 
Yeah, a whole bunch actually. That after found that us. Last episode. Yep, yep. And uh, um, either K.R. Versteg or James Noka. Yep. And uh, he said, if you're not a Russian hooker, you're probably going to get. Yeah. And and typically, I, you know, this is another thing that's going on on Facebook right now. People do not realize this. Your identities are getting ripped off. You got to be careful with who you're friending anymore. Yeah. Um, this has been going on for about two years now. I'll get, and I, and I get a dozen, at least a dozen of these kind of friend requests every day. People that have three common friends, dozens of them, yeah. I get every day. Yeah. And it's and typically, if you look at the profile, the profile has a profile picture. It has a date joined Facebook, which is fairly recently. Yeah, a couple like, weeks ago. Yeah, a couple weeks at most. And one or two pictures. Yeah. And what these people are doing is they are going to your profile, if you have an open profile, they go to your profile, they take your profile picture, they take your one or two pictures in your background, they look at um, your name, and then they create a new profile. Huh. And then they start friending people. Oh boy! And that's where you get into trouble. Yeah. And and so if you say yes to some good-looking girl, nine times out of ten, that person goes through your profile and steals all your pertinent information and puts it on, and creates another profile because what they're going to fish for is a little more intimate communications with people in your friends list that they can get information so that they can totally steal your identity. Yeah. It's really quite bad. But anyways, I digress. Well, uh, so you, watch out for that. If you want to uh, if you want to find our uh, rally team on Facebook, just look up Team Silicone Bandits. That's us. We're going to have some videos coming out. Uh, I've probably make a bunch of stickers. Uh, it should be should be pretty cool. And oh, and by the way, if you want to have your company sticker on the car right now it is free all you have to do is send me a vinyl uh, automotive grade sticker and I'll put it on the car and it'll be in all kinds of pictures and everything else uh, probably won't get you anything but then again you didn't pay anything for it so <laughs> uh, but you know later on if we end up doing some bigger events then you know if you if your sticker's been on the car for a long time you know Maybe you get a deal later on if we end up doing some bigger stuff. Yeah, sounds good. All right. All right, so keep your friends sharp and your knife sharper. No, keep your knife sharp and your friends sharper. <laughs> you and go. get outside, guys. And yep. remember, this is uh, Independence Day. Happy Fourth of July and happy uh, Independence Day to uh, breakfast.